Welcome to Hive Mind. I'm Meg. I'm here with Eli and special guest Lindsay Encina. I said your last name right, right? Like every time yeah. I say it, I'm like, do I say that incorrectly? No, okay. you got it. Great. Lindsay Encina, thank you so much for being here with us today to talk about The Crown, which we'll get to in a minute. But first, tell us what you've been watching. Well, um, I am deep into Survivor. Eli, are you still watching? Yes. Um, I have not watched last night's episode yet. I'm doing that tonight, but Same. tell me generally, what are your thoughts this season? Um, I love it just like every season. I'm just a dummy for it. And I think they've made like some good tweaks. I think it's a good cast, but I feel like I've said that like every season, but I think they fixed a couple things that have been a little wonky. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. What, tell me, um, the drama of the season in our part of town is the Provo guy who quit. Um, oh yeah. Tell me your thoughts about that. <laughs> well, I I'm like kind of of like two minds about it. Cause like on one hand, if it's not working for you, but then I guess you can quit things. <laughs> That's all right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do feel like it's a casting problem because they've had, what was it? Three people that effectively quit this season. Were there, I, I'm thinking of two, what, who's the third? Well, there was the one guy, Brandon, who he, remember at the first tribal council when Hannah quit, then he was essentially being like, well, like maybe I'll quit too. They were kind of like fighting about who would want to quit more. Yeah. And then, but then I guess he kind of got it together. And then, um, what was the, what was the guy from Provo's name? I just forgot his name. I don't remember. Sean, Sean, Sean. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Can't remember my kids' names, but I can remember these. Um, <laughs> and so I, maybe it's like a little bit of a casting problem, but also it seems like he was getting voted out and rather than get voted out, he wanted to, you know, quit first. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 that, I, that irritated me. The way he quit irritated me. I hated how he tried to blame Mormonism for it. <laughs> it's like, no, you can dude. Blame Mormonism for a lot of things, but not this, not <laughs> you quitting survivor cannot be pinned on Mormonism. I am sorry. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm a little bored with the cast this season. The last couple of seasons, I feel like the casting was, was really good. And like, we're deep into the season. There are only a few episodes left and I like can barely remember people's names. And I, I don't think that's a me problem. I think the cast is just like less memorable and that's been a little bit of a bummer, but I think the production has been fun. And I like some of the decisions that they're making within the production. Less puzzles, which I think is interesting because yeah. of last, the, the guy who was really good at puzzles last season. Yeah. Um, this is the first season that I, my two oldest kids, I have two girls that are nine and almost eight. And they've been watching the season with me, like, you know, like from the beginning. And that has been super, super fun. And they're like cool. really into it. And I've loved that. Cool. Very good. And I'm not watching any housewives basically for the first time ever, Meg. Whoa, not Salt Lake. I'm for the first time, literally since I was in high school, I'm not watching any housewives. Like, <laughs> is this a choice or just did it no. just happen? It just happened to me. I don't know. I got overwhelmed. There's a lot of housewives on at one time. That's the yeah. first problem. Yeah. I have overwhelmed. The second problem is that I'm really into Southern charm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How have you seen the promo for the new Vanderpump rules? Uh, I did see one last night where they're just like, here we go. But I don't think that's what you're referring to. No, it is. The one where okay. it's the acoustic version of um, <laughs> Best Days of Our Lives and Lisa's yes. in the middle. She's the only one looking at the camera. It takes my freaking breath away every time. Oh, I cannot God. wait. 
I'm so like, excited. The, I have so much joy that you are now a Vanderpump person. It, it brings me great, great joy. Truly, the other day I was like, why do I feel so down? And the answer was, I hadn't watched Vanderpump Rules in a few days. <laughs> like, it's what is keeping my serotonin afloat at this are point. Are you all the way back up? Like, did you completely go back to season one? No. So I started by watching season one and two. And then I was like, this is going to take me forever. So then I skipped to season 10. And then I've been going backwards. So now I'm okay. halfway through season four. So I'm almost oh. caught up to where I started. Okay, that's a good part. I am loving there's no bad parts to be honest <laughs> no the one well, season where they just had like a couple himbos it was like right yeah. before COVID that was a real stinker of a season that was tough that was tough but you're you are in the best of your lives right now <laughs> <laughs> truly anything else you've been watching um those are the main there's a couple things I have on deck for sleepy holiday times like I'm really excited about Fargo but I haven't started yet I don't know if you guys do Welcome to Wrexham. That's kind of like something I can watch with my dad. Mm-hmm. So I have that on deck as well. Perfect. Um, we're going to start Fargo actually this week. Very excited. Mm. Yeah, same. I'm really excited about it. Uh, Eli, what have you been watching? So Mike Berbiglia has a new special on Netflix. It's called The Man in the Pool. Uh, I saw this last year it, live in New York uh, and Loved it. And so I've been very excited for an entire year for this to come out on Netflix. Uh, it's Mike Berbigley. If you're not familiar with him, he's it's essentially stand up comedy storytelling. Um, it, I was introduced to him through like, I feel like he was on NPR, or This American Life, like 500 times. And then finally I was like, oh, I should check his stuff out. Uh, I enjoy his form of storytelling a lot. This show in particular is very, it's very funny, like laugh out loud funny. Uh, also very thoughtful. The story structure of it all is like really entertaining. It's compelling. And it's just like an all around like nice time. Uh, I I watched it last week with my husband and my and his parents. And like, we just all had like the best time. It's pretty family friendly. Like your teenagers would enjoy it, I think as well. So if you're looking for just like a nice hour, not stressful, Mike Birbiglia, The Man in the Pool on Netflix. Awesome. Great. Um, and then I finally finished the morning show. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Listen. All right. If you, if you haven't watched, if you're not caught up and you don't want spoilers, like plug your ears for a second, but the, 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 this, the season ended and I'm, you know, addicted to it and watching every second and eating it all up. <clears throat> the season ended and Skyler walked into the room as it ended. And he's like, so wait, what happened? Cause he like kind of was following a little bit as he'd walked through the room as like, you know, watching it. And I was like, well, you know, Jennifer Aniston just walked Reese Witherspoon to the FBI so that Reese Witherspoon and her brother can turn themselves in for their role in January 6th. And Skyler just went, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this show is insane. <laughs> like, I can't believe this was a plot point. <laughs> When they show, spoiler, when it is revealed that Reese Witherspoon has caught her brother in the Capitol assaulting a police officer on January 6th, that's when I was like, yes, this show has hit perfection. Like, you cannot get more deranged than this. It is, and John Hamm is in it, and uh, and uh, what's her name? The comedian, the lesbian comedian whose name is slipping my Tig mind. Nataro, who Tig doesn't N- say a funny thing the entire time. Tig Nataro, who's playing it totally straight. But like, I know Tig Nataro well enough that I'm like, 
is she do is this a bit like is this is she doing comedy and it's just like so subversive that it just I, I don't know but like she's either either a brilliant in it or terrible and I'm not sure which it is Steven's theory is that the entire show is Tig Notaro's dream like she's gonna wake <laughs> up at the end and it's just gonna be a dream she has Honestly, if that's what if that's where the show goes, I think it might be the best show that's ever been made. Yeah, I mean, I already think it's the best show that's ever been made, but it'll just like really hammer that home. Oh god. Uh, Lindsay, do you watch the morning show? No. I know the plot points because because of listening to Les Culturistas and that is it. They just talk about the third graders writing it and that is what I know about <laughs> it. So I was aware of the January 6th plot and I, my mom watches it. And so I kind of get bits and pieces from her and I feel great about my position with the morning show at this it, point. It, it's, it's weirdly addictive. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. And it, it's one of these things where I'm like, why is this so addictive? It's most of the acting is terrible. There there's, it's, there's so much going on that it's honestly hard to even follow what anybody's stories are anymore. And yet every episode ends and I'm like, I, I I'll stay up another hour. Like every episode, I'm like, no, I can I can stay up for one more hour. And watch I'm it. always devastated when an episode ends. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about the morning show. Should you ever find yourself in bed all day with like food poisoning or COVID or the flu or something, just do yourself a favor and watch the morning show. There are enough episodes. You're gonna be entertained. You're gonna be so confused. You're gonna forget about whatever sickness you had. <laughs> And it's just the perfect bingeable program. Really is. Um, really happy you're caught up. Yeah. Do you then, think that that's Apple TV? What are they called? Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus? What is the service called? Yeah. Do you think that that's like the the idea behind it is stuck in bed TV, but shows that are just made with so much money? Is that the the point? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I've said this so many times on this podcast, I'm starting to sound like Teddy Ruxpin, but I really think that Apple TV is like it, 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 Apple knows how to make an addictive product. They're not always good products, but they're always addictive. And their TV shows are the exact same thing. It's like I've I have not seen an Apple television program that I think is genuinely good, like quality storytelling, like quality product. But I've seen several that I find pretty addictive. So I don't know. Um, not to insert my turn too soon, but we're now finally caught up on For All Mankind, Apple TV's space show that I think is costing them $5 billion per episode. Uh-huh. And it's exactly <laughs> that. Like, it's not good, yeah. but I want to keep watching it even when I hate it. Like, I still, I'm very frustrated frustrated with the show most of the time, but I'm still going to hit play on the next episode. Yeah, yeah. So it's some it's sort so of like... Yeah, I mean, the production quality is very good on all these shows. So I think it tricks your brain into thinking what you're watching is good content. Right. Yeah. And and speak, speaking of something costing a lot of money and making you think you're watching good content, I'm getting caught up on the Gilded Age. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my oh yeah. Their costume budget must be infinite. Infinite. I love the costumes. The costumes it's- are so fun incredible like i truly am baffled by how many ornate like beautiful outfits they're able to put together for this gargantuan cast i mean the cast is so big i can't keep track of 90 percent of it 
I'm like, I don't know. That guy was talking to that guy. I think, is this a new character? I, every scene. But every the, episode, I'm like, who is this guy? There's always one person that shows up that I've never seen in my life. It, but they're, but the show acts like you should know them exactly. intimately. Uh, exactly. So their, their costume budget and their set budget is incredible because their houses are outrageous. Like, I just want to go walk through them. I want to tour them. Um, it, some of the, some of the CGI scenery is like a little much, but it's, <laughs> it's a pretty show. Nothing is happening. Uh, like this is another one of these things this morning. I was talking to a friend and I was like, yeah, I'm getting caught up on, on Gilded Age. And he's like, oh yeah, what's happening this season? I'm like, well, <laughs> there are two competing opera houses and they're trying the family, the wealthy families are trying to decide which opera house they're going to go to. And okay, but like, meanwhile, what <laughs> the black characters in the show are fighting for their lives literally in the was, South. Yes, literally was just going to say, but like, on the other hand, the plot point that gets like 6% of screen time is like the main black character, like preparing to go to the South to do a report in 1883 and her parents like freaking out because of the danger. And like, this should be the whole show. <laughs> There's literally in the most recent episode, they go from a scene of these two black characters hiding out in a barn. So a lynch mob does not find them. Cut to the servants in the Russell home talking about what they're going to make for dinner. And you're like, I'm sorry, maybe we should do two different shows here because this dichotomy is not working. It's not working for me. I don't think it's working for everyone. Yes, this story is important, but the way you're shoehorning in, into this feels, I'll say it, offensive. And, and the, the show is 100% identically recycling storylines from Downton Abbey. But they're like, not speaking in a British accent, and it throws me every time. It does. It it feels <laughs> weird. But it's like, the sa like, take the same like five characters from Downton Abbey, put them in the basement of a new house in New York and give them the exact same plot lines. Like it's it, it is wild how lazy some of the writing is. I'm like, no, we, we all watched Downton Abbey. That's why we're watching Gilded Age now is because we watched Downton Abbey. So you already did this with these three characters, but okay, yeah. we're doing it again. Um, I will say it is fun to like, I, this is a show I'm constantly Googling or like, you know, searching like Wikipedia, like, oh yeah, like, uh, somebody was on last night. Who's the playwright that whose name I can't remember? Suddenly, the British playwright from the 1800s. He was gay. No, Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Thank you. That Oscar Wilde like pops in, and I was like, oh, like when when did he die? What did he write? And like I'm like constantly like googling information, and like they they make passing references to like what's being built in New York, and like the Brooklyn Bridge is like under construction, and I'm like, oh. Like, when did they finish that? You know, it, it, it's been kind of interesting to just like visit that period of time. And I, I'm enjoying my re or my watch of this. That is like a genre of show that like you can watch while Wikipediaing things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a subgenre. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. Um, but yeah, that's that's that. Meg, what have you been watching? Um, okay, so still slowly watching all the David Fincher movies. Did I talk about Zodiac last week? No, but I've, I, I saw that last year and it is terrifying. Yeah. It's, um, it's really well done. It's, I saw it once in college and was kind of not that into it, but rewatched it recently because we've been listening to the blank check podcast about all the David Fincher movies and it's a stone cold masterpiece. It's a very, very good movie. And it has like my favorite genre of movie, which is like 
journalists working to uncover something. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is great in it. Uh, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. is great in it. Um, Mark Ruffalo is really great in it. Really interesting story. Um, Zodiac Killer is kind of terrifying. They never like officially caught him. You know, mm-hmm. like that's pretty unsettling. A uh, really good movie. We also watched Panic Room, which is another David Fincher with Jodie Foster and a baby Kristen Stewart. Hmm. Um, and Jared Leto is one of the bad guys. And Jared Leto is like waving his red flags all over this, pl- all over the place in this movie. So it would be like two decades before we'd catch on to Jared Leto. But he is like so over the top as a bad guy in this that it's laughable. But the movie's still pretty good. Huh. Um, Sharp Left Turn. I've been doing a lot of food prep for like Thanksgiving and stuff. And I wanted to have something on that I knew well, just so I could listen. So we watched uh, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, which somehow get better on every rewatch. Um, Startling realization in You've Got Mail, though, all Nepo babies. Meg Ryan Mm. inherited her mom's store. Oh, Tom Hanks inherited Fox Books from his family because sometimes I get frustrated in these movies. Like, how are these people living this kind of lifestyle? You know, now as a 37 year old adult who's like paying bills, I'm like, how does Meg Ryan have that apartment? Nepo baby. Also, Sleepless in Seattle. I don't think I ever realized how wealthy Bill Pullman was in that movie or that he was actually the publisher of the newspaper that she works for that man had so much money that she walked away from which i'm like wow she really believes in love wait other than him being the publisher is there evidence that he's wealthy yeah they're like traipsing around new york and going to the most exclusive restaurants and they're registering at tiffany's oh (laughs) i watched that movie like a few months ago and that went over my head because i was too caught up on meg ryan's character and how she's a little bit of a psychopath yes yep yeah <laughs> like pretty if she wasn't a beautiful person she'd be in prison for the things she does in that movie <laughs> yeah um but anyway fun to revisit fun to watch then of course we've gathered together today to talk about the first part of the crown is this season five or six 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 first part of season six which surprise they've broken up into two chunks for whatever reason Mm -hmm. um i guess maybe to give some space between spoiler diana's death and the rest of the season more of the aftermath so we got five episodes in this first part what did what did you think both of you i really enjoyed this and after last season i was like kind of down on the Mm -hmm. crown i was like not Mm -hmm. even feeling that excited about watching it and the when I first started watching the episodes, I had sort of like a Pavlov's dog res, like response to it. I got really sleepy watching the first two episodes, and I had to like go back and like watch. But then, um, I got really hooked in the third episode, which is the one where Diana and Dodie like he proposes to her, and then I was kind of in for three and four. And overall, very positive feelings after finishing. Love yeah. it, Eli. What were your thoughts? Sa- same feelings. I, the fifth season was so boring to me. It took me like four months to even finish it because I like yeah. it felt like a chore. And so I was kind of dreading this, but I burned through these episodes pretty quickly because I was entertained enough. And I thought last season, I said, in fact, on this very podcast, I think I have 
the amount of knowledge that I want about Diana and I don't need any more. Like I've spent enough time in my life learning about Diana that I think I'm just getting to a point where I'm like, ugh, can we please stop talking about Diana? I am so sorry if that's disrespectful, but we've talked about Diana a lot in our lives. And so I, I was like, I'm not sure that I want to spend several episodes on Diana, like slowly marching to her death, but it was pretty compelling. And I think the most, in, and I've got some complaints and we'll get into them, but I think the most interesting part of showing the lead up to Diana's death was I, I know I knew this as a, as a fact in my brain, but I don't think I had ever really contemplated how chaotic the paparazzi had become in her life. And I feel like the, these episodes did a really good job of showing that kind of like stress and anxiety and chaos that was just like following her and following her and building up and leading up to the eventual disaster that happened. I thought that was really kind of interesting. Yeah. I also, I feel the same way you two do. Last season was a real chore for me to get through and I was not going into this season with very high hopes but I think they did a really good job um I think I and I think part of that is for selfish reasons because I first became like actually aware of the royal family when Diana died like that's when this show met my personal experience because I remember when diana died and how the world reacted and what a shock it was to all the adults in my life that i was kind of forced to pay attention to these people and what was going on um and so it felt a lot more personal these few episodes to better understand what had happened or at least peter morgan's understanding of what had happened um and why and I think they did a really good job of making the paparazzi feel so menacing and intrusive and dangerous. Um, I think that was very effective. I thought the way they used um, Harry and William was effective to kind of frame the grief through them and have them walk in the funeral parade. And it's because of them that everyone's so sad was really effective. Um, I still think that they are giving Charles way more credit than he deserves. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I, I want to, yeah, I want to say to that, that I'm about to say something that's going to make me sound so stupid and so simple, but I don't care. I've embarrassed myself on the internet before I'm immune to it now. Uh, watching this, I really, really hated how after Diana and Dodie die, they have those scenes where like the memory of Diana and Dodie appear to Charles and to the dad and have like this conversation. I especially hated the Diana and Charles scene because it almost felt, I understand that we're supposed to like understand that this is potentially Charles sort of like processing his relationship with Diana. It's not the actual ghost of Diana. I get it. But it did kind of feel like let's have Diana come back and let Charles off the hook a little bit mm -hmm. because she sits mm -hmm. down with him and she's just sort of like, well, we had fun. Right. You know, and they like have this like kind of loving conversation together. And I was like, I kind of feel like this is disrespectful to her. And like, we don't know what her feelings were of him when she died. And I don't think it's, I think it's disrespectful for us to guess that. And what's going to make me sound stupid now is when this was happening 
And like they're they're showing the scene like you know before they die, and it shows uh, Dodie and Diana having like this big conversation that like nobody was a witness to, and then they go and right. die. So like, how would we even know what they were saying to each other? And I'm like, oh, this is all made up. And it made me like think back to the early seasons when I almost was viewing this as a documentary, and was just <laughs> like, this is what happened in the royal family. And I was like, if we have made up this much crap about what happened 30 years ago, when I have a living memory of this family, how bad were those early seasons? Like how much were we just kind of like shooting off our hip, like whatever, you know? And, and I remember like, apparently the queen watched the first few episodes of the first season. And there was like an article where she said like, oh, you know, we enjoyed it and it's fiction and like she made some comment about like this was fiction and at the time i was like oh she probably doesn't like how people were portrayed but watching this like recent season i was like she probably was watching this and be like yeah none of this happened <laughs> i don't know what did you guys think of of that of the the ghost diana and dodie i mean i yeah i agree with you i did not like the ghost diana or the ghost dodie i thought that was cheap and lazy writing. Um, I don't know how much fiction it is after reading the Palace Papers, which I will never shut up about. Um, but I do feel like it is the main source material for this show. And Tina Brown truly did as much research as one human can do. Um, Lindsay, you know even more than I do. You've read the Diana Chronicles, so I'd love to hear your take on the Diana Doty conversation. So I'm not done yet. I'm like halfway, like two thirds done. But I, I think that's a really important perspective, Eli. That like this is like a work of fiction, and it did also make me like recontextualize the early seasons, uh, because Tina Brown makes it seem like um like Dodie was not necessarily from what Tina Brown says like a great guy he was kind of just like a party boy and like nepo baby like we you know and so I think that it's okay to go and pretend that they had the, that conversation but um I think like the treatment of Dodie in it like I really liked the Moo Moo episode from uh, season five. And I was that, thought that was interesting that they were kind of just trying to center um, the Fayed family in the story. But then after reading or listening to some of uh, Diana Chronicles, like, I don't know if we needed that much about Dodie. And maybe that's disrespectful to him because he also died in this tragedy. Um, but I have kind of like mixed feelings about how much time the story spent centering that family. well I I do too if only because they're not doing the Fayad family many favor favors in the no. way they're telling this story like they don't come off looking great especially Muhammad Muhammad's the father's name right I think so um yeah yeah and I don't know I feel kind of weird about it I feel like they're just making him look like a class climber um who was only ever in it for the fame and controlling his son and that may be true but again, if this is a work of fiction and these are real people, they're being done the dirtiest. Yeah. And I think ultimately, I think that my biggest takeaway from these four episodes were the shift to Charles and also to William specifically, not even Harry, but William, because it is a story about the crown. This is a story about sort of intergenerational trauma that exists because of the crown. And so I kind of wanted more of that. I was mm -hmm. interested in more of 
the passing of the baton in a way. And so I was sort of less interested in uh, Dodi and Mohammed. And also, I, I think part of why maybe Peter Morgan focused on them was because he was trying to figure out how to tell the story without doing the queen again. And maybe exactly. that's why he had to maybe bring them in. Maybe he regretted not mentioning Dodi and the queen. Uh, but I think that was a, that was probably difficult as like a writing exercise. I do. Um, I do think that the queen is better at showing at least the royal family's response. It's much more thorough, feels much more personal to the queen. Um, and yeah, this definitely felt like, oh, I already wrote this story. So I'm going to write a synopsis real quick, which we've all been there, but still not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I sent you guys a BBC article earlier today that I was reading because kind of like my main takeaways from the acting in it were that Debicki is really good as uh, Diana. I really liked her. Uh, and that Dominic West, which I think we talked about last season, was like kind of miscast, way too handsome, way too charismatic, like just kind of a weird choice. And then uh, from the BBC, they kind of thought that they didn't like Debicki and they but they liked the portrayal of Dominic West which I was like I'm like am I just seeing this wrong or am I just seeing this from an American perspective which is kind of what I've always run into when watching The Crown yeah because my perspective is that most British people don't like Charles but that's probably a very skewed perspective it's it's we we Skylar and I went on a trip a couple months ago and we ended up on this wine tour with these two British women who were hilarious and so we, of course, brought up the royal family to them. And we were like, what do you think of Charles? And they said, we think the same thing everybody thinks of Charles. He's the most boring placeholder in our British history. And we're just waiting for him to die for the real show to start. And like, Ooh. they were just like, that was just like, that was the answer that just came like right out of them, like without even thinking. They're like, we're just, he's the most boring placeholder until the real show starts. And we're like, okay. <laughs> wow. That's That's anecdotal, obviously, but I was like, this anecdote confirms what my perception is of British perceptions of Charles. But it's like, he's he's not, his history is not boring. Like it's very salacious. He had a mistress who he's now married to and to still be boring, like that's an accomplishment for people to still consider you boring after all of that. Yeah. And like my, my at least from my like perspective, it's less boring as he is just like not super compelling yeah. as like a personality like he's had these like like you said like really kind of salacious interesting things that have happened throughout his life but and it's like maybe not his fault that he doesn't have a good personality like I don't know <laughs> it seems like it's once again the fault of the crown that he was put into this position from like without with a mom who kind of didn't know how to be a mother to children and also to a country and so he's a victim of the circumstances but also just kind of maybe not and um, doesn't have main character energy Mm. Mm. exactly um I what do we think about them doing a part two after this because it ended on such a somber note and now I feel like it's gonna be like William on Teen Pop magazine like I'm not sure how they end this and stick the landing what are your thoughts yeah where where does it go I I've been so curious since the since episode one of season one where does the show end? Because it's not it's not going to twenty twenty three, obviously. Um, 
I would find it really fascinating if they could actually go up to the queen's death, but it's not happening. So where do they end as a storytelling, you know, as a story arc? I mean, they wouldn't dare do Harry and Meghan, right? No, I read at some point that I think it goes through when um, Margaret dies and uh, Elizabeth's mom. I forget what they call her. The queen, the queen mother. Yes. And which I think is like 2000, like three-ish five yeah three four five six somewhere like in there I think is where it ends um and I don't think like I think it just is like William and Kate like meeting um I guess based on that timeline I'm really interested in it like I thought like the stuff about William um was really interesting and I wasn't actually like really thinking about that going into the season I was like oh yeah there are like some kids that are there but I wasn't really thinking of him as like where the story goes so I guess I am actually pretty interested in that after watching these four episodes because I think that I'm ready to kind of put this phase uh of the crown like to kind of like put it away yeah and to explore something else that I don't really actually for as I mean like we're all generally the same age like we remember when William and Harry were like teenagers and you know like dating and the paparazzi and in the press and stuff like And I feel like for as much as I actually have like a living memory of that happening, like I don't know a lot about it at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I'm just not sure what makes sense for an ending place, you know? Um, But that's why I'm not the showrunner, I guess. Yeah. I I will say something that I'm really missing is I, I think I've very much enjoyed uh, the stories about the prime ministers and parliament Mm -hmm. and i've i missed that uh, so far this season i actually think the show hit its best stride with the margaret thatcher crown battle like i just thought that was so compelling and i'm i'm missing that and i don't know what there is you know what tony blair's you know prime ministership can bring to the remaining episodes but like i do hope that we see a little bit more of the politics just because I'm kind of bored with the crown's politics, the family well, politics. Well, that's part that's part two of what makes the queen so good was the modern yes. politics, um, elected officials versus the monarchy and how often they bump heads. And that's always been right. one of the more interesting things about this show. Right. Um, and I agree that I'm missing that. And I hope we get at least in part two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was another like the queen issue in this season because he had done that already with tony blair um and so i don't think then he like really tony blair wasn't even in these episodes that much i guess because it had been done but i also think that's like indicative of the crown in real life is as time has gone on those the crown and like elected politicians and like working together has become i i mean i don't live in Britain, but I think less effective or less, I don't know what the right Re- word is. Relevant. relevant. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. So yeah. um I guess that's just the way it is. That that's a good point. Yeah, you're gonna see less and less mingling between those two factions because the the government officials don't feel like they need the blessing of the crown as much or the consultation with the crown as much. That's interesting. Yeah. I did not think this season was kind to Elizabeth and like we said, very kind to Charles. And I was trying to remember, uh, did Elizabeth 
when I mean when they were editing this she had definitely already passed and I couldn't remember about season five but I wonder if there is a little bit of politicking or public awareness there also in terms of like now that she's gone maybe they don't feel like pressure to like make her look good and now that Charles is the king maybe they they feel an added pressure to make him look good yeah that's an interesting point um I would love to know if there's calls being made from the palace to Peter Morgan (laughs) well palace papers I mean it seems like there are like they're very aware of like the public yeah they have a whole staff whose job it is to be aware of the messaging um would watch a show about that about the making of the crown and how much if any the palace was involved would be fascinating listen i i know that like the royal family is in gets so much attention and if you were part of that royal family of the royal family you must at some point become at least a little bit numb to it Uh, for example i think if somebody tried to make a netflix series about my life that would consume every thought that I had. And I I don't think that that's the case for them. But if, if somebody put, even for the royal family, if a production company put this many resources into creating a six season thorough story about your family, like even the royal family members must be watching it, right? Like even they would be like, we should kind of see what this is about, right? I mean, how could you not? How could you not watch it? That's what I, that's what I'm saying is like, I, I, maybe I just don't understand what it's like to be in the public eye to the level the Royal family is. And maybe this truly is just like a blip on their radar where they're just like another piece of media about us, how, you know, yawn, but this feels like so intense that, that even this must be like a big deal in their lives. Right. I mean, I can't imagine, and maybe because of the trauma of like their their mother's death, like William and Harry, but especially someone in like our general age demographic, I can't imagine someone not wanting to watch. Yeah. Um, and from like, I mean, maybe this is just the show, but they always have the TV on. <laughs> it seems like they were fairly aware of like public uh, like opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that said, I never read the comments on my articles, you know, like, even as like a lowly local news writer, I've learned how to take measures to protect myself, you know? And maybe when you're at that level of fame, you've learned how to take even more drastic measures to protect yourself. And I imagine that watching The Crown would be a pretty tough watch if you're William. Unless you're Charles, then you're feeling great about it. Unless you're Charles, and then you're watching it. You're rewinding all your scenes and watching them back again and rewinding them and watching them back again. (laughs) You're watching the breakdancing from last season. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Never forget that. Um, Yeah, I I was just surprised how much I enjoyed the season because for as how much as I loved the first seasons, I was so down. But I I guess I'm I'm back in for the for the end of season six. Yeah. We're back, baby. (laughs) It's it's coming out in a couple weeks, right? Before Christmas, I think. Yeah, I'll be in jolly London town at the time. I'll tell you what the local hey. response is there. <laughs> yeah. I'll ask all the I'll ask everyone on I see on the street. What do you think? What do you think of part two? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, we'll be back to talk about it, whatever that response is. Lindsay, thanks so much for being here with us today. We're excited to talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, me too. Um, we'll be back. I don't know, probably doing a Christmas movie next week. Yep. 
We'll let you know what it is when we record. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye.